everybody. Welcome to Adrian Has Issues, the conversational podcast celebrating the culture of creativity. So I, I feel like I've been getting really spoiled as of late because uh, a couple of projects that I've been doing seem to marry two things that I love a whole bunch, almost too much, one would argue, but then I wouldn't have a podcast. Uh, a couple episodes ago, I was able to speak with Ro Panaganti and Christian Richardson about two video game music projects they were doing. And today's project takes music and marries it to something else I love dearly, which is comics. And today's guest, uh, John O. Dinner, is a comic book writer and a musician out of Flint, Michigan. And if you have not heard the name, you're more than probably aware of the bands, some of them which I enjoy immensely, The Swellers, Baggage, No Trigger, which No Trigger was something I was uh, huge into at the time. <laughs> and Diener has uh, been writing comics, so let's see, let's run down a few of them. There is a comic for Flint, Hope, which was released through Sourcepoint Press, and uh, was featured in anthologies such as Maybe Someday Through a Wave Blue World. Everything is Going Wrong, Comics on Punk and Mental Illness, and has actually self-published some books, including Monster Bounty and Jetpack Zack. So this uh, project that you're working on now, The Inevitables, to say that this is like an all-star lineup would be something of an understatement. But before we even get into all that, though, Jono, thanks so much for coming out. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Anybody who's listened to this podcast knows that I'm really big with origins and getting to know creator stories and really sort of picking their brain about not just even the how, but also the why certain projects got made. So, you know, I'm aware of you through your music background, but I was actually less aware of your comic book creating. So um, actually, if you don't mind, let's start there. Like, let's start with sort of like your love of comic books and how that transitioned to you creating them. Sure. So... I've fortunately come up with a way to have an expedited origin story for myself uh, <laughs> because it's very bizarre. Like most people grew up loving uh, like Batman, the animated series, uh, the Spider-Man cartoon, X-Men. Uh, I was always playing with action figures and that was my big one. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and as, as a kid, I went to my friend's house and his older brother was like this cool goth kid that loved Metallica and he loved Spawn. <laughs> and, you know, as you know, in the 90s, that is like the heyday for Image Comics and Spawn in particular. So uh, I was obsessed with all these action figures. Then I started getting the comics from that. And I, I was like, this is insane. And then they made the movie. And I'm like, I don't need comics. I got a movie. And then, like, <laughs> you know, I was just obsessed with like all of these different worlds other people were building. Um, and then all of that kind of ended for me because I got a drum set when I was, I believe, nine. My brother was 10 and he got a guitar. And then we had a garage sale and essentially most of my action figures were sold in one sitting to one of my neighbors. She oh, bought, no. I, if I remember correctly, it was 300 action figures for $1 a piece. What? Uh, so my mom was like, this is amazing. You made $300. And I was like, my childhood's over. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's terrible. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but I mean, it helped me because I took music really seriously from that point on. Uh, all I did was play drums and learn everything I could about it started touring locally, regionally, nationally, and then the world with my band, The Swellers. Uh, and then as I was doing that, I started doing writing. So I was initially documenting what we did as a band, like taking photos and blogging and doing that kind of stuff. Right. Essentially, it was a tour journal. That's what I called it. Um, then that led to several people in music journalism world hitting me up being like, hey, do you want to do a guest spot for us or a little column or whatever? And... So I went from like 
my personal or our band's MySpace blog to like a local place to uh, Vice has a thing called Noisy, which is their music section. I wrote for that for a year and then alternative press. So while I was doing music stuff, I was kind of living a double life because I love the music industry as well. Um, so I was writing about it and then I was like, okay, so in addition to writing, which I love, I also wrote lyrics for our band. I helped like essentially pick all the artists to establish our visual identity. Uh, and I started doing the marriage of visuals and words. And I was like, I think this is just comics. Like, (laughs) uh, so I started reading comics again. And again, this is like a lot later in life. You know, I had this seemingly like 15 years of just music and nothing else. So once I like allowed myself to get back into that, I started finally reading things that had a voice like mine, like Matt Fraction, Ed Brubaker, and you know, like the really dark stuff. If I want to go like Jeff Lemire, you know, sometimes Tom King. And I started reading these stories from all of them. And I was like, this is how I would write if I wrote comics. Right. And then I decided, okay, well, I should write comics. So I kind of just went into full gear uh, put together an anthology and it was me and all of my friends who never had any published work or any, we actually never made a physical comic period. So I like spearheaded this project. It was ended up being called um, a comic for Flint hope source point press, put it out for us. And all of our first comic ended up being uh, a nationally published thing and distrib- distributed everywhere to comic shops. Uh, so that was like a weird, like I stumbled into something awesome, but it was, if I didn't have my music background and all of this other project management behind me and experience writing and a following from other industries, you know, it would have been a a totally different situation. So, uh, yeah, I, I kind of just like fell down a staircase and wound up in comics. That's how I feel. (laughs) (laughs) Which I, I've, I go back and forth about my ideas of whether or not certain things that happen, especially when it comes to like creativity about is there really such a thing as stumbling into something like, is it really accidental or incidental? Because like I said, you've sort of started there, you know, in a roundabout sort of way. It's just almost to me, like it almost feels like you kind of came back to it. And I guess that's kind of a, a really cool transition to be like, oh, hey, you know, I love comics, comic book culture, but, you know, most people are like, well, you know, maybe I outgrew it or maybe you know, got into other things, but to, you know, have a pretty storied music career is a, is a pretty heck of a transition. Yeah. And I am definitely aware of people jumping into other industries, you know, and it being like, like kind of like gatekeeping and all that going on. Right. Um, But the cool thing was like, I, I grew up in punk rock and all that was, was like DIY. Like you have your community, all of you help each other out and you, you have to be scrappy cause you don't have the resources. So you make it work. So, you know, just like our band where there weren't any punk bands in our area. So we started a punk band and we started like recording in our basement and selling those demos ourselves. You know, like you grow these things from scratch and that's what I wanted to do with comics, but also having been in music where, you know, I've been like, I've had success with different record labels over the years. That doesn't mean that I wasn't also touring for like five years straight before any of that happened. And like 10 months out of the year, living off Taco Bell, sleeping on strangers floors. So, you know, it's, it's paying your dues. And the second I came into comics, I immediately was like, I know I have to pay my dues because I need to be good. I can't just be like, Hey, enough people follow me on Twitter. I'll automatically be, a comics genius. I'm like, well, I don't have any 
comics. So how the hell does that happen, you know? Right. And yet, the fact that, you know, with music, you know, now that I'm realizing the more I talk to people and really sort of getting an idea of both industries, you re- I'm now realizing that there are some, you know, huge differences, but there's a lot of similarities in terms of, especially when it comes to like indie comics, because a lot of those people in that industry, much like with music, you know, how many people really start off already being known? Like you really do have to build that following and that not only just uh, a listener base, but just also uh, a work ethic uh, seemingly out of nothing. Because like you said, there was no punk rock in uh, Flint, Michigan. So to be able to be seen, I'm, I'm sure was uh, pretty grueling at first. Yeah. And like along the way too, you know, I've, I've had to deal with being angry about situations like no one pays attention to me or like I work super hard and I didn't get anything or whatever. But what sucks is like once we did start getting stuff, you know, all of us still had that mentality because it was like that's what kind of drove us to be productive. Like, right. like you know, no one believes in us. We're the underdog. And people are like, dude, you're not the underdogs anymore. Like, chill. Like, and, <laughs> uh, you know, and I've kind of always had that mentality, but I realized that's just my brain chemistry. So instead of trying to prove people wrong, it was like, okay, well, maybe we should just live in this and enjoy it while we have it, you know? As time went on, you know, just like what I'm trying to do in comics now, I love collaboration. I love working with other people and building something. And there are a lot of people that are like, you know, they'll they'll give me notes and stuff like that. And they're kind of scared because they think I'm going to, as a newer comic writer, uh, reject all that stuff. And I'm like, I've been writing with like, big time editors like ripping my stuff apart for years like that. I'm used to that. Like I want people to do that because if you don't have someone rip you apart, you just keep doing the same thing. It's like, it's not practice makes perfect. It's perfect. Practice makes perfect. Huh? I've never actually thought about it that way. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. Cause if you reinforce bad habits, you know, like, you know, it was the same with music where we, we got better because we would talk to our friends that were doing well and they would kind of like take us under their wing and do cool stuff, which, you know, obviously it can be a transition into what we're going to talk about. But one of those first bands was less than Jake. And out of nowhere, we had like the guys that were on our first punk rock mix telling us like, hey, you guys are good. We want to take you on tour. And then going from that to being like, hey, like, show me your new song and then giving us real criticism of it, you know? And not just blindly being like, it's great, like everyone else would. So that so you learn from that kind of stuff. And that's what it's about. And also shout out to Lester Jake. And well, again, we'll be talking about that in just a moment. But I think that's also a key part about collaboration, you know, talking about music and comics is, you know, having someone take on people, you know, like that sort of each one teach one mentality where, okay, you know, you have a band that, you know, they came up just as anybody else did from seemingly humble beginnings and then taking on somebody new and showing them the ropes and sort of giving them criticism, but also giving them, I guess, the freedom to sort of like flourish in their own way. Cause it's not like, Oh, you have to do it exactly this way, but you know, anything, at least just giving your pointers because what's the worst thing is having like anybody go out, do something without really any kind of guidance and then sort of burning out. Exactly. Yeah. So, of course, we all want to get into the inevitables because uh, this project is wild. (laughs) (laughs) With this, we have married music and comics. 
So we should probably go through the list here. Well, uh, Vinny Fiorello from Less Than Jake and also found a paper and plastic, which is a label I really enjoy. He and Obi Fernandez uh, from Westbound Train, uh, they've assembled this team. And uh, anybody who's listened to this show has probably heard these names before. And some of them have actually uh, been on this very program. So let's see. We have Liana Kangas, Devin Watson, Fabian Lillet, and Cardinal Ray. So at first, I was just thinking of it from a comic book side and just realizing like these characters and these designs are really cool. But then once I learned about, you know, the punk rock background, then realizing that there's not only a soundtrack, but it really does just blend these great elements together. So uh, if you want to like detail, like how you got involved in this whole project. Yeah. So it was bizarre for me because it was Christmas Day and that night I got a text from Vinny. And keep in mind, like, you know, I've known him a long time, but we were never like regularly communicating or anything. Right. And the text just said, hey, Vinny, or sorry, hey, Jono, it's Vinny. Uh, I'd love to get on the phone and talk to you about something. Let me know when you could chat. It was like something along those lines. And I'm like, this must be important because it's Christmas. And that's like a it's a weird time to text someone. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure like what was going through your head? Because I mean, if I know when I get messages like that, like, hey, I want to talk to you about something. Maybe it's me just having anxiety being like, oh, my God, what did I do? <laughs> you know, th- that usually happens. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but this was one where I was like, I don't know what this could be. And uh, he recently left less than Jake. So my head immediately went to, is he going to ask me to be the drummer of less than Jake? Like what? And I was like, also, is he in charge of that? So I was like, I have no (laughs) idea what this is. So a few days later, I got on the phone with him and he was just like uh, me and Obi Fernandez from the band Westbound Train. uh, We are putting this like wild project together and it's not just an album. It's going to be like artwork tied in and it'd be like a whole it's just like an art project in general. So he's like, so with that said, uh, I saw one of your posts about how you've been looking to do more creative stuff. And I know you've been hustling writing comics. So would you like to write the comic of the inevitables? And I was like, that is so sweet that I'm not asked to be the music guy in this. Like it's literally (laughs) as a comic writer. So I was like, hell yeah, this is awesome. So then the next few months, it was just like, Hey, here's rough demos of songs. Hopefully it gives you some inspiration. And then I would listen to those I just already had like a loose concept in my head very vaguely from like, here's the name. Here's some like Nirvana lyrics that kind of made him think about it. And then like I was dealing with death. That's all I knew. So I was like, I'm going to make a list of weird characters that normally wouldn't be together because it's always fun to have like an ensemble cast. And then I was like, okay, so I want this to be like a street level thing and not like weird superheroes or anything like that. But I want it to be like really big stakes. And uh, because it was like based in Fort Lauderdale, like a big thing was talking about the bridge. So I was like, well, you know, similar to where I'm from in Flint, like you could literally see the lines of gentrification. So you could see like this like nice downtown area. And then right. there's like a line in the sand. And then you see, you know, a bunch of homeless people and like dilapidated buildings. Uh, so, you know, I was assured by Vinny that like, going from one side of the bridge to the other, it's pretty similar because Florida specifically, it's like its own character there. There's a lot of like wild colors and landscapes and uh, just culture. Like it's a very strange culture blend. Right. And then you go across the bridge and then out of nowhere, it's like these super like uppity mega millionaires. And you're like, how the hell do these people live this close to each other? So that's what made us all kind of throw a bunch of ideas around. And then it's, based on all these calls and all of these like 
just like group documents where we're all like writing in it and stuff. Like I was like, this is what I want to do. Let me know. And instead of being like, no, let's not do that. It was hell yeah. But what if this happens and what if this, you know? <laughs> so like we all added to each other the whole time. It wasn't like taking away or whatever. So that's how the comic concept was happening. But on the other end, they were already working on the music. So uh, it's kind of like, again, speaking of an ensemble cast, like the music side has players from Real Big Fish, Less Than Jake, Westbound Train, Nightmares for a Week. Who else? Uh, the bassist of Jeff Rosenstock, um, someone from The Interrupters. Like it's it's just like a wild super group. And it, all it is is just like Vinny's Rolodex of like, oh yeah, this person's cool. And he hits them up, you know? <laughs> and that is really cool because, I mean, Nightmares for a Week I'm a huge fan of. But again, yeah. I'm just kind of like, how did this not happen sooner? <laughs> Yeah, like it, it's it's just cool knowing that like Vinny has like the ability to bring people together and do projects like that, like just like big scale wild stuff. Because like a lot of people forget, like he like founded Fuel by Ramen, mm-hmm. and that's like you know now it's like Paramore, Twenty One Pilots, like all this stuff. Uh, but back in the day, like it was like a little punk label that like you know Less Than Jake was on, and then like a few other bands. And then Fall Out Boy showed up and then blew up. And it was like this crazy deal. Um, and, you know, Vinny has just a really good way of like sniffing bullshit. So uh, he was like, all right. So at a certain time when they were signing certain bands, he was like, I think I'm done. So I'm going to get out of the label. So he pieced out of that, started Paper and Plastic, which is a punk label, which is what Feel by Ramon. You know, he keeps like restarting like what he wants to do. So the best part for me is like, this is going to be my first full 22 page comic that I have written and it's not like part of an anthology or like a slightly shorter one or whatever. It's like, this is just potentially the premiere debut issue. And then it could go further from there. So yeah, it's been wild, man. <laughs> like, uh, there there's been so much going into this. Like we've been doing a podcast. We've been building this Kickstarter thing and like, you know, they're doing even more stuff. I don't even know about, but like, right just from like the comic side, like I got to build my team. So like, you know, I brought in Liana Kangas, we got Cardinal Ray and Fabian. And a lot of it too is Liana and I worked on a pitch a few years ago, which was a band related comic, uh, which, you know, a few things happened and, you know, it didn't turn out. Um, but we stayed friends ever since then. Cause like someone brought us together. And then at the beginning of COVID, she hit me up and she was like, Hey, um, we have this Twitter DM group of just a bunch of like comics world friends. If you want in I'm like, okay. So I thought it was just like a, Oh, we just do like memes or jokes or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like a Facebook group, but it was like just a group of people that are super supportive of each other. Some of them are like editors of publishers. One is like a video production person. Like everyone has this cool role, but all together we make this like weirdo super friend group and we all support each other. So it's like, Hey, this is coming out. Can I get an RT? And then you get 15 in a row, you know? So like, that's the stuff for me where like now I have like my Rolodex of comic people, which is like close friends that I talk to on a a literal daily basis. And that's something I didn't have a few months ago, you know? So now that this is coming out, now we have a thing to actually promote. It's not just me being like, oh yeah, I'm developing a bunch of stuff and like telling people that like, no, there's stuff coming out now. Like there's this. And again, it, it's on Kickstarter. So we already hit several of our stretch goals, which is insane. We have two weeks left. Uh, and 
I know that it's funded. So like mostly my job is done other than like, you know, managing everything else comic wise that's about to happen. But as a comic writer, like I try and take a Jeff Lemire approach where it's like, I have so many irons in the fire at once. And if something starts picking up, you make sure you have that next thing ready to go right behind it. So I'm already like pitching other things to publishers. I'm already working on like two or three other pitches with friends right now. And then that's in addition to uh, maybe someday, uh, like you mentioned earlier, a wave blue world is putting that out. And uh, I have a six page story in that with Sebastian Perez, who's this amazing artist. And they like, they paired us together for that, but you know, it, it shows the beauty of collaboration where whatever comes out of your head is going to be different because it's working with someone else's filter. And it's funny as, as much as you're like, Oh, Hey, I didn't get brought onto this project uh, f- just for strictly my uh, music expertise, but you basically formed a band anyway. <laughs> like I, you just kind of like, and now it's just a different principle. And now also thinking about, let's say the last, you know, couple of months and realizing that, you know, the music landscape is, you know, cause I, I hate to maybe bring it there, but, you know, due to COVID, you know, like let's say music has sort of taken on a different life, seeing as how we're not really having the ability to like either go to shows live or even perform live. So I think in a way it's, it's cool that you've been able to sort of channel that into a different avenue. Yeah. And like, the the joke about me in the last few years is like I just keep throwing a bunch of shit at the wall to see what sticks. So, you know, after the Swellers or like actually the last year when we knew we were ending, I started another band called Braided Veins, which is like an experimental like post hardcore like it's like refused and Fugazi meets like the Bronx and Drive Like Jehu. Um, which, you know, for some people, they'll be stoked. And most people, they won't know that what any of that means. No, I'm uh, actually pretty stoked. <laughs> okay. sweet. <laughs> so, you know, I started that and I like brought together all my like favorite Flint musicians that I looked up to growing up. And I was like, Hey, we're all in a band together now. Heads up. So, you know, we started writing this wild music, uh, a few years into that. I was like, I want to sing in a band because I've been writing with other people, but I've never gotten to like actually be the person up front doing it. So I started playing bass and singing and I started a band called baggage, which is, you know, a pun on like my past band life and how I knew that would always be like comparable to what I was doing now. So I was doing that for a long time. Then I was also a hired gun drummer. So I did a tour with or two tours with the band early November. I was drumming for them. And then I did uh, some stuff with the band, no trigger, which is like, this awesome punk band from Boston that stayed at my parents' house or sorry, Worcester, not Boston. Let me clarify. Uh, (laughs) I don't want to make the Massachusetts family angry, Um, (laughs) but, uh, but like they stayed at my parents' house when I was in high school, when they were on tour, because we used to let touring bands stay at our house and like put on shows for them. So like I've known this band forever. Then I officially became a part of the band. And then most recently uh, we just recorded like a 20 song album at my brother's place, which is an hour from me, like in the middle of a cornfield and like getting to a, be in a room with other people period was cool, but we wrote a full record remotely and I've never been a part of anything like that in my life. So we like lived this really surreal two weeks where we were just recording the most wild stuff. And, uh, we're going to have vocals on it soon. Like they're being recorded in Massachusetts. Uh, but then we're going to like pitch that to labels and stuff like that too. So, you know, I I've been again doing like 50 different things at once, but the exciting thing for me is like, 
I know you get to start seeing those things come out finally, which is right. such a good feeling. And you mentioned something that's, I think, telling is the, and I know, like, every time we say, like, you know, throwing shit while seeing Mercurius sticks, you know, for a very long time, I used to think that was, like, a, almost like a negative thing. But the more I'm realizing, you know, talking about getting projects started, a lot of it just sort of just happens. I mean, I talk to so many people, and you're thinking, oh, think about, like, these great albums, great movies, like these things that just get started and you're thinking, oh, there must be some really wild story behind how that got started. And a lot of times it's just people going, we had an idea and we just tried to see if it worked. And we were almost as shocked as you that the fact that it did. <laughs> and Baggage, I was actually listening to that um, earlier today. Uh, and I thought that it was really telling because, like I said, you come from all these bands where you were the drummer, um, but now you performing and Life in uh, Misophonia, which is a really like, I, I guess since you've done, you know, journalistic style writing, it is a, a pretty honest take on your experiences. And like the song Horseshoe is a song that I didn't think that. You know, I didn't often hear songs like that. Like, and I know, like, you're not, like, the first, you know, artist to talk about life on the road and things like that. But, you know, how many really afraid put it in such a, like, sort of, like, nakedly honest way? And I thought that was, like, wow, this is really great stuff. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, like, I've been so jaded and bitter about a lot of things. And that whole album was, like, me finally putting an end, at least I hope, <laughs> to that. Um but it was like, this is how I feel like, you know, a few years prior, like I was doing all this big stuff and still complaining about it because it wasn't even bigger than it was. And then I start a new band and I'm playing for like five people in, you know, like Ohio or something. Right. So I was finally like, this is what all of the bands think. And we never say it. And also, what the hell do I have to lose? You know, this is one of my few bands that I'm in. So, yeah, that whole album is kind of just like this nice, like. <laughs> like essentially putting to rest me giving a shit about music and trying to like make this like control my life and more of a nice release to being like, I need to get all of this negative stuff out and then start being hopeful and appreciating what I have, you know? And then now like every single one of us with a literal global pandemic, you know, we have to live with that. Like th th we have what we have and the stuff that we took for granted, we totally know what we took for granted now. Right. And we really have to prioritize things that are important to us and the things that aren't important, the things we can live with and the things that we can live without. And I think now, and when this whole thing first kicked off, you know, and I'll admit I was kind of in my feelings about it. I remember seeing a lot of people with takes like, oh, well, now that things are at a standstill, you have no excuse to start that project, you know, you were thinking about, which to me, I remember getting really irate about it going, well, um, we have anxiety and uh, possible job loss, so it's not really exactly the best motivator. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. So it's you at first I'm like, the choir, man. <laughs> right. So I'm like, how dare you? Like, I'm sorry, this is not ideal. <laughs> if I wanted to start a project, I'd I would have just taken like a couple of personal days off of work or something like that. Not you know worrying about the threat of sickness, death, or you know that of even a family member. But I think even then, somewhere I know at least personally something in my head kind of clicked being like not necessarily that this motivated it but i think it was the you know the facade of all the stuff that you know you were like oh man i couldn't do without this and then realizing 
oh, this isn't that important. I was almost like, you know, having your lights like get like taken out during like a storm or something like that, where at first, like, oh my God, the lights are out. What's going to go on? And then after a while, you're like, you know what? Not for nothing. This isn't that bad. <laughs> Light a couple of candles. You know, maybe I'll go to sleep earlier. Maybe I'll be less distracted. I don't know. Like, yeah, live how people lived forever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> I mean, I have that with like the Wi-Fi was out the other day and I was like, what do I do? And I'm like sitting in my office staring at two bookshelves covered in like comics and novels and all this stuff. And I'm like, I could even go for a walk. And I'm like, <laughs> exactly. But I'm and again, like like you, like I am super anxiety guy. So I was like, well, I could be doing more work, though. So all I did was just do whatever I could to fix the router. And then an hour later, I got it uh, instead of, you know, living in that moment for a second. I was like, eh, never mind. I'll do that later. I'll have time for it later. I might have time. Probably not. I'm never going to relax. OK, here we go. <laughs> like that. That's my constant mindset where uh, like having anxiety and touring like kicked my ass, like because all you're doing is killing time, but making yourself feel OK about it. Right. But then the second I started having to get like normal jobs more often through and tour off and on, then I would like hate these normal jobs because I was like, why can't I just do the other thing? I'm like, oh, well, because I'm not 17 living with my parents anymore and <laughs> I have responsibilities and a family and like real life. So like my again, tying it back into comics and stuff like my anxiety when I have it under control. I could turn it into productivity. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there are there are a lot of times where it's paralyzing and it sucks ass. But like for me, I'm looking at, I think, 25 post-it notes that I have like all over my table with like notes for comics or work or whatever. And that's just kind of how my brain works, where it's like I kind of like having 10 things going on at once because the second I finally get like, you know, what, I wish I could just like do nothing and chill. And then I get like an hour into that and I'm like, I hate this so much. Yeah. Cause you're almost like alone with your thoughts. You're not really sure what to do with yourself. <laughs> yeah. And like, and this whole thing, like the COVID stuff, you know, obviously it's an awful thing, but it's the first time in my life, kind of similar to when I was like in a van for eight hours a day, like, you know, playing like whatever video game thing I would have at the time uh, or like reading books or reading whatever, like I can play a video game at night and feel okay because it's okay to do that. Like I'm, I'm allowing myself to do shit that I was stopping myself from doing because I thought it was a waste of time. And right. then I realized like, oh, like, and, and not saying that it's like the best thing in the world, but like I didn't drink until a year ago and now, you know, I'm staying in my house most of the time. So I'm like, okay, well, I could allow myself to have like a little glass of whiskey and play Red Dead Redemption 2 for four hours because it's fine, you know? So it's been wild, man. And like, and again, like same with me, like I had to transition into like other jobs and stuff like that. And fortunately, because I, again, have so many things going on, like I was able to pick a few things up fairly quickly. Uh, but like, there's nothing weirder than like, you don't understand how messed up the world is especially if you're trying to not watch the news because it's not helpful. It's just bad stuff. Not in the least bit, dude. Like, it's so terrible. <laughs> so where are you based out of? I'm uh, based out of uh, Long Island, uh, but I'm from New Jersey, Northeastern Jersey, more specifically. Okay. You have to, when you say you're from Jersey, you have to point that out because whoever's listening who's from there, you know, that's where they get really tense. I'm like, okay, is he from, like, the Taylor Ham part of Jersey or the Park World part of Jersey? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember, like trying to ever talk about like, cause we used to play New Brunswick all the time. Oh, and 
uh, like especially like like Asbury Lanes and stuff like that when that was still a thing. Uh, but yeah, it, it's so funny there because like everything is very like close feeling and then you get to Michigan and everything's so far apart. And, you know, it, it depends where you go in each place. But like you, you kind of forget how people actually act until something awful happens. And then you see the awfulness in people. Mm-hmm. So for me, like I wasn't leaving the house at all when the stuff started. Like I stockpiled my house. I like full on like bunker style. And then I would finally go to the grocery store and I'd see half the people wearing a mask around their chin and then other people yelling at different people and no one taking it seriously. And I, I was just like this is insane. And then I remember as I'm like having these thoughts or like depressed people all wearing masks, like with their heads down while they're slowly pushing their grocery carts. And then I start hearing like life is a highway. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh my God, this is the most like depressing thing. Cause they're just right. pumping this bullshit, like feel good music while it's like the end of the world. And I'm like, it's happening. Like this is what it's really like. And I, and then I started like taking that fuel and not being like, I'm going to write a dystopian thing about quarantine. Like, no, like this is the best analysis of human beings that we as Americans have ever seen. Right. Because you start, every conversation has something to do with it. And it's always bizarre. There's never like a normal take on any of this stuff. And we're watching the whole world change. And then, you know, you have like the black lives matter movement and like these massive important things happening during this. So then you have to re switch your brain on and then you do have to watch the news, but a lot of it's like really violent, awful stuff from police. But then you have like, so, you know, like it, it's just been this constant, like juggling act of sanity for me. And I imagine most people, but it all comes back for me for like escapism is an important part of our sanity, like, and not escapism to just ignore things, but to enjoy things like entertainment is that like I wrote music for most of my life. And if that makes someone feel good or feel something, Oh my God, that's the craziest feeling in the world because that's what it did for me. Like I, the band, not a surf is one of my all time favorite bands and it's the only band tattoo I have and it helps me get through stuff, you know? So like, with comics, you have the ability to tie all of these things in together that people love. You have narrative, you have like awesome artwork, you have design, and then you have just collaboration overall. And then you add, you know, social media, the rare times it's good. And it's this, (laughs) it's like this cool, amazing thing that could be happening all the time. Uh, So, you know, I've been trying to just like, I guess, find my place in the world because I have, like, you know, all of these like freelance writing job things, plus the comic stuff that I love doing, plus my bands, which is my passion stuff. And I'm like juggling all of this around. But now, you know, kind of what like the inevitables is like, that's kind of what the world is going to start turning into. You can't have a venue right now. So like, good luck trying to put on shows. So in a year, I think it's like summer 2021 is when they're probably going to start doing stuff again. If they're not doing like, the weird drive-in theater, like separated cage thing or whatever I've seen photos of. Oh God. Or like that was at like the Hamptons where they tried to do like a drive-in concert, but everybody was like, yeah, let's just hop out of our cars because reasons like, okay, way to, you know, pay attention and, you know, follow the rules, but cool. Yeah. And like, you know, so there's like already this like discourse and all this other stuff. So I have been able to like put my pressure on myself about music to rest. Um, 
And there's a lot of people doing really interesting stuff and doing live streams and doing, you know, like again, like no trigger wrote a 20 song album like that. That can't happen other than that, you know, Uh, right. And it has this weird like tinge of being special because of that. So like with comics, like every single moment I'm working on stuff like, you know, whether it was the inevitables early on or like some of the pitches I'm working now, uh, like my friend J.R. Harris, who's this absolutely amazing comic artist he's based out of flint and if anyone is interested in following him it's jr comic art or comics art you'll find it but he's like this untapped talent that's been doing like local cons for years and i saw his stuff and uh my friend sam and i and him went to c2e2 and that was the first time i was like tabling at a real con and it turned out to be the only time I got to table at a con because <laughs> all of them shut down. Uh, so That's so terrible. But but it added this like insane weight to it. And then he like to comprehend that weekend and how like heavy it was on like all of our emotions and stuff, knowing that oh this stuff's really changing. He made this book called Chicago Twenty, and it's all of us that were hanging out that weekend as robots and like living in C2E2 in this weird like lens that he saw everything through. And that was how he processed it. And I was like, holy shit, this medium is amazing. Like, like this is how, you know, even if no one cares, it doesn't matter. Like it's how you feel. And if you have passion behind the stuff you're doing, like that can change someone's life. And if it doesn't change anyone's life, hopefully it at least changes your life. No, and it should, and I think that that's what we're what we're really facing now. Going back to prioritizing things that are important is, well, you know, you were always a storyteller, and you know, even what I do is, you know, highlight storytellers, whether it be through a visual or you know, written sense, or even like in the auditory sense. And now that, yes, you know, because we always joke about twenty twenty being like the rule book was thrown out, like thrown in the fire, like it's done. Everything, it feels like a low-key sort of purge, but then really trying hard, you know, in between, you know, like the high anxiety is realizing like maybe some of those, some of them, some of the rules had, maybe it was not necessarily good that it happened, but maybe it was worth it that some of these things maybe started to die out because I was talking to a friend of mine last night, um, friend of the show, JL Draco, about you know, we were talking about like a bunch of like ridiculous comic movies because we were talking about Spawn. You know, we were talking about like, I think it was one of like the, gosh, which was it? Um, Fantastic Four or Green Lantern? <laughs> yeah, like one of those, but it was like one of the earlier ones. Gosh, I'm forgetting now. I think it might have even been like Batman Forever or something like that. Like, yeah. you know, like these sort of like movies, like these 90s superhero genre movies that we used to look at and kind of like pan to be like, oh, they were so terrible. But now I kind of look back with a weird fondness of this like weird freedom to just make this product or not a product, but like this movie that's just bizarre. Like, especially the Spawn movie. The Spawn movie is batshit insane. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yet, I love that movie. And I thought the soundtrack, I think, was a really cool idea by, again, talking about collaboration is taking, you know, electronic artists and matching them with like metal. Like it, it was like, who was really doing that other than maybe Judgment Night? Yeah. Well, I, I remember like when I was like, again, the like older brother, my friend got us in the spawn. Uh, we started reading the comics and just being obsessed with their stories and everything. And then my brother and I went to the theater and they had a trivia thing and we both got 
all of the answers right and we're the two that won <laughs> and <laughs> we got a spawn hat and the spawn soundtrack and keep in mind we were like really young when this is going on but like that was such a like weird marriage of like really dark music and a movie and like you know that was like a lot of people's first like marilyn manson was silver chair was on it uh yeah i forgot who else but like it was like henry rollins corn was on it um, yeah gosh who else but then it was like the sneaker pimps and like ronnie <laughs> size and it's just like and i think even like matt doughty from uh soul coughing and it was just like what is going on <laughs> yeah and and like what made that cool though is like you understand this thing so like going back to it like you were saying you you're like what the hell was this like this is kind of bad and then you're like is it bad or is it just like totally different in comparison to all of like the standard new movies you know Right, and I think that's it. It's like, I think we, and I know this, maybe I shouldn't speak generally. Okay, I'll say for myself. I saw it as bad because I didn't get it because, you know, you grow up knowing like, you know, the sky is blue, grass is green, you know, and you just take these things for granted and anything that's outside of that. I mean, you could still critique them because it's art and, you know, probably could and should be to a certain degree, but it was because it didn't fit those standard ideas that at least I had of what these things could and should be. And I'm realizing that now, at least when it comes to creativity, because we don't have the standard avenues for certain things anymore, is that hopefully, you know, if there's any good to come out of it, well, other than basic human decency and compassion, (laughs) would be just the willingness to experiment. And I think what The Inevitables does, you know, and even just your other work, it's just that this story really is just something that seemingly is unexpected. But when you really think about it, it's like, it shouldn't be unexpected. This shouldn't necessarily feel like such a radical approach. But then, even though it is Escape is Fair, and yeah, there's, of course, you know, some great comic talent, some great music talent. But at its core, you know, having the story of like, you know, I guess like a haves and have nots kind of idea. You know, you talked about the bridge or, you know, even like in Flint and heck, even where I grew up in New Jersey, where you could drive down one street and see like two completely different neighborhoods. And I thought it was really cool that a lot of inspiration was taken from Nirvana, which one of my favorite songs off in Utero, which was Radio Friendly Unit Shifter. But, you know, that quote's like, you know, hate your enemies, save your friends, find your place, speak the truth. And I'm like, God damn, Kurt Cobain was a genius. Yeah, and he would he said like really obscure, uh, simple things, and they meant so much. Uh, because like for my brother and I, like, like well specifically for him, like Nirvana is like why he played guitar. You know, it wasn't really like the quintessential everyone else thing. It was like this this dude who has all this angst, and then for some reason, like a ten or eleven year old kid is really relating to it, you know. But then also, mm-hmm. like fifty year olds are stoked on it, and then now, you know, it grew up with everyone. And even if it just seems like gibberish some of the times, like it emotionally lands whatever they're trying to do. Right, and again, that just I think now it's something that I think people are really, even if they don't necessarily explicitly say it i think people are looking for something a little bit different and i think people really do want change want something that is left of center and i think that's why we look to bands like nirvana and i think actually as of this recording i think today was a uh, joe strummer's birthday or would have been his birthday mm-hmm. and you know we can go on about so many people that have just changed lives and i think that this book 
is something that I think people are really, I mean, it's no surprise. I mean, look how well it did on Kickstarter. So clearly there's uh, an audience for people who want this. That should prove that, you know, this, this stuff like this could work. And what I really want this to be like part of is, you know, grouping several things. So there's actually another pitch I'm working on. And I, I was actually working on this before Vinny hit me up about the inevitables, but it's a, a music a companion to a mini series and like the way it works in my brain is like oh yeah i could write an album you know it's not like wouldn't it be crazy if that like no, i could record it all myself and do everything and also write the thing and then you know uh so like that's the kind of stuff i want to do and not just be like the band guy that also does stuff like i want to be known as a comic writer but i have the ability for fun to do everything else uh and, you know, you look at publishers like, are you familiar with TKO? Have you seen their stuff yet? Yeah, TKO has really been making some waves lately. Dude, it's so rad. Like, uh, they sent me like four of their books. And like, even just like looking at it on my shelf while I'm talking to you right now, like they automatically stick out. They're like oversized. So it's like easier and more fun to read. But they're doing like the binge approach because it worked for Netflix, the mm -hmm. biggest streaming service that changed the world. So why in comics when it's like a fledgling or not fledgling is obviously it's been around for a while, but it's like it's struggling. And especially with COVID and all this stuff, eventually it's going to start changing to like graphic novel format because we're starting to see like Brubaker at image do that. And Rick Remender is starting to do that kind of stuff. And even Matt Fraction, like all of the guys that I love are the guys that are starting to follow this approach. So in my mind, I know comics has to radically change because we've all seen what happens with like the diamond stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, DC just had their layoffs like business is business and it will always be business. But if you can finally understand that people do want change and maybe like new formats aren't polarizing. Like it's not like they just updated like a shitty layout for Facebook. It's like, Hey, what if we gave you a whole graphic novel? Also, instead of putting it in a box in your closet, you could put it on your shelf and the whole thing is done and ready to go. So we don't have to worry about it getting canceled. Also, did you know it's going to be cheaper for you to buy it once? Cool. Like everything I just said in a row should be the future of comics. Like, and I, all I'm doing is describing a graphic novel because like, I love floppies to death, but like I had to stop getting physical ones. Like at least my pull list is totally shrunk because I was overflowing boxes worth of stuff. Like oh. I have, <laughs> Don't even, like, I mean, I, I know imagine, that feeling too well. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I heard Adrian has issues. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh. Like I could probably make furniture out of like my long and short boxes. And I know there's different theories on that. And, you know, obviously there's the discussion about the business side of things. It's one that's definitely worth having regarding, you know, the money and how it's allocated and things like that. But I think we have to find some way to adapt and change. And I don't know if it's going to work for everybody, but I think that it would maybe help because at least I know, like, let's say with like my, my stepkid, uh, we went to a comic book shop and, you know, he was looking around at stuff and he's like, Hey, you know, did you maybe want to read this? And he's like, I'd read it, but I want to, I don't want to read it if, unless I know that, I'm going to be able to read the whole thing and it's not going to like end like halfway through. And it's a valid concern. And this is yeah. a kid saying this and then realizing as an adult, you know, at the time growing up with floppies was fine, but one there's space and two, 
you know, again, like having like a full story because, gosh, I can't tell you how many times like I've read something and I'd find out, oh, yeah, I got canceled. And then I'm like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it does happen with like TV shows and like all these other industries. But like there's nothing weirder than like like every time I write, I always like I, I have yet to do a full series, but like I always end an arc knowing that if that ends there and it has to, it's OK. And it like right. it works. And it's weird that my brain does that because I just know that's how comics works and that's how everything works. Like if you get like, and it, it, like a cliffhanger can still be an ending, but if it's just an unresolved thing, it sucks. And then you feel like you wasted all of your time leading up to that point. Um, so like for me, like I own every single issue of Tom King's Batman. And that was my, like, I'm going to get all these and I'm going to like stick it out and I'm going to do the whole thing. And then I like, calculated how much money I spent on that and then I saw how much space it takes up and how physically heavy it is and I was like damn dude that's crazy <laughs> and like and and uh first of all like you know all artists should be paid more and yes. editors should be paid more because they make life happen uh but like there there has to be this middle ground of how do we make more people want this and it be less of a chore to them because, you know, we saw like what DC tried doing with Walmart with getting their um, like the idea was totally there. Like, let's get these comics in Walmart and then more people will buy them. But then Walmart as a company decided to like hide them in the hardest to find places and then no one bought them anyway. So yeah, which is unfortunate. Yeah. So like, you know, there, there's at least people like throwing rocks and seeing what happens. But like you, you need to have people making bold choices like you see TKO doing that. Um, like vault comics is a really rad company. That's like getting a lot of clout now because the way they operate is just smart and cool. Um, image has always just been, you know, like the, the leader of that stuff. And like, I feel like a lot of people are starting to follow in those footsteps too. So just like everything else, like, you know, we're watching venues close down all over the world. We're watching bars close down. We're watching all of these things that we loved going away, movie theaters. Uh, you know, we already had malls on the way out before this and now they're mm -hmm. done. Uh, so instead of having these like fossils, what do we do with them? How do we convert that into new jobs, a new way of looking at things and use the time we have now while everything is very weird to think about that stuff and plan and execute when it's ready to go. That's what should be happening right now. Right. So like, you know, I like the mall for me is like the best example of that where it's like the malls aren't actually good. Like, you could just get stuff online. It's more convenient. Like, but you do, you are supporting things for the sake of just saying you have to support them. It's like, Oh, I don't want it to close. Well, do you go there? No, I don't really like it that much. Okay. So you just solved your own problem. So huh, wow. with, so like with comics, you know, like how do we solve that problem? Because if, if comic shops are like doing like the old school thing and it's kind of just like loosey goosey, whatever, like, you need to have like the good comic shops will kick their ass. And then how do you make the other ones matter? Well, you make publishers be more friendly with retailers. You help them out. So it benefits everybody, you know, and then in the long run, it benefits the team who worked on the comic. So, right. You know, there's still a long way to go and the comic industry has been around for a long time, but I feel like this is the year where despite everything sucking ass, there's going to be a lot of good that comes out of it. Right. But it's going to require much like with social change and well, honestly, everything it's going to require one 
a hard, honest look at ourselves and how we conduct both business and just personal practices, you know, it's going to take people really just, and it's going to be some hard choices. And it's, no one wants to say that, you know, there's going to be a lot of failures because who's going to want to sit there and doomsay or anything like that. But it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. But I really hope that like you said, like, you know, this is the year that things change and that people start being more honest about these. And also the idea that, oh, you know, let's bring things back to normal. But it's like normal got thrown out the window a long time ago. And maybe certain things would be nice to go back to, but maybe certain things are probably better left in the dust. But as someone who loves comics and, you know, loves music and all these things, I want to con- I want to see them continue and I want to see the people in them and the people who are doing good work within those fields also be able to support themselves and be able to put out great stuff. But if it's becoming a point where people are having to walk away because it's becoming a detriment, both personally and financially, it's like, you know, of course I would like to see them change for the better. So mm-hmm. it's like, I don't love it so much that like, I just want to have the status quo keep, you know, being perpetuated because that's not how anything is going to advance. And like, there's a, it's weird to quote myself, but there's a line in uh, the comic I'm doing for that maybe someday anthology. And it says, I don't like the normal where we pretend you're fine. And like, that goes with everything where it's like, when we get back to normal, it doesn't mean things were good. Like, they just were. That's just what we were used to, you know? So now, like, just how we are used to like taking things for granted and seeing things with a different lens, we have to understand we have the ability to change things and we have to think about things and have conversations, whether they're hard or not, you know, and then that's how industries like comics and music and everything can flourish again. And just to even admit when things aren't okay, like, you know, you and I, we had a very brief exchange about, you know, being people to have anxiety and also creators like that's big. That's huge because not, that's not an easy thing to talk about, but I guess at this point it's like, okay, the more we talk about these things, the less uncomfortable it seems. And maybe that's how we get things started. So, you know, first and foremost, like, I really do thank you for sharing everything that you shared. And again, this has been a wild time for everybody, but you know, I don't know, like for some reason, like this project really gave me like a lot of hope because I just like seeing people working together and just putting out cool shit, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I appreciate it. And again, like, thanks for giving me a chance to talk about it too. Anytime. But, um, of course, as I always like to do, I do want people to be able to check out your stuff, you know, your music or anything else you have going on. So if there's any other links um, or things you want to promote real quick, yeah, please do so. Yeah, sure. Uh, So The Inevitables is still on Kickstarter. Uh, The easy way to find it is go to Kickstarter and type in The Inevitables. (laughs) Um, And then my personal social media is John O'Diener on everything. So J-O-N-O-D-I-E-N-E-R. And then my website, uh, it has everything from bands I've played in, hired gun drum work, writing work I've done for all my freelance gigs, and just the contact information. So if you're a publisher or someone doing an anthology, or you want to reach out to me about drumming for you or literally whatever, uh, all my contact information is there. And that's just johnodiener.com. Very cool. Thank you. And at some point, though, I I would hope to have you back on because you mentioned Lemire at some point, but then, you know, we're talking about floppies and buying all these books. And I realized that Jonathan Hickman owns my soul with this X-Men one going on right now. (laughs) Dude, I didn't even start that for that exact reason. I'm like, oh, God, that's a shelf. (laughs) 
I know, but it's like that shelf, it's, you know, like I, if there were anything close to a cult that I would start for a comic creator, it'd be that because what he did for so many other books, like, of course, take my favorite franchise and just flip it on its head. And that's, that's a whole podcast series. And I would love to pick someone's brain about that, but. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. And, um, Adrian has issues. You can find this in every episode on Adrian has issues.com. And also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, you know, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere else podcasts can be found. And we will end this by asking a very simple question. Every creator has a story. What's yours? Have a good night, everybody. For more great podcasts, visit adrianhasissues.com.